Thank you for listening to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us, which means if you've never been to church, walked away from the church, or are struggling to find a church to connect with, you belong here. Christmas is right around the corner, so we want to invite you to join us for Christmas with Collective. This year, we will be hosting three identical Christmas services starting on December 23rd at 5 p.m., and continuing on December 24th at 4 and 6 p.m. It's going to be a great night, so we want to encourage you to grab your family, your friends, and your neighbors and come celebrate with us. Now let's get into Sunday's message. I have to ask, how did inviting to Christmas Eve go this week? Thumbs up, in the middle, thumbs down. Good, lots of thumbs up. Uh, I'm sure some of you had similar experiences uh, to me where you hand things off and you say, hey, I'd like to invite you to Christmas Eve. And they're like, yeah, I'm going to check my calendar. And then they don't respond to you again. And so if you've been ghosted, don't give up. Uh, I was talking to somebody yesterday about it, and they invited a bunch of people, and a lot of people said no. And, um, and here's the thing. Invitation to church is way more like baseball uh, than it is anything else. If you get three hits out of 10 at-bats, you're a Hall of Famer, okay? And so seven out of 10 people tell you no, it's going to be okay. Don't give up. Keep trying. Um, But one of the reasons why I love being your pastor is because I know that I can bring a big challenge from Scripture on Sunday morning, and you all respond. Even if it makes you uncomfortable, even if I'm asking you to step out of your comfort zone, even if it means you have to be vulnerable, you do it. And over the past week, I've heard some really great stories about invitation. Right after second service last week, I walked to my spot in the lobby, and one of our medical team members was there. He looked right at me. He's like, I did it. I texted someone and invited them to church. Dude didn't even wait until Monday. He sent the text right there, which is so legit. Like He didn't wait to get all the insecurity and the fear of the car or the anger at the kids or the traffic or trying to find the right food. He's like, I'm going to do this right now. CT, who was just up here, sent me a text this week. It was a picture of a family who actually brought out a whiteboard that said Collective Family Family Contest on it, and they put up a challenge in their house to see who could invite the most people to Christmas Eve. But here's what's even better about this. We got a picture of it. Um, This is Karis. She's a teenager, right? Yeah. This is is a student saying, all right, family, I'm going to lead the way in this. Um, My guess is she's going to smoke them, uh, and that's my hope. I hope she crushes all of them. Um, But man, it's such a good reminder to our students that you are in here for a reason. Um, You're in here to learn and wrestle and grow, uh, but the challenge is for you as well. You have friends that you have the opportunity to invite. Don't wait for your parents to push you. The fact is they're probably more afraid than you are. And so I'm excited for our students who are being bold right now. One more story. I want to update you all on my daughter, Elise. Uh, After Sunday, we came home last week. She had her hot chocolate bomb and her invite cards. And she was so excited about inviting her friend from school to church. And so we use this as an opportunity to talk to her about inviting her friend and and sharing why she loves Jesus, why she loves Collective, why she loves Collective Kids. And after our discussion, Elise decided that the hot chocolate bomb and the invite cards weren't enough. And so she took out a piece of paper. She made a card you know, wrote this beautiful note inside and then was like, well, that's not enough. So she grabbed a bag and she decorated this bag and she put it all inside and brought it uh, this week. And we don't know uh, if the family's going to show up. We have, we have no idea. Uh, she's asked us every single day if they're going to be here today. And we're like, well, it was a Christmas Eve invite, so probably no. Um, but man, she's so excited. And like I said, I don't, I don't know if they're going to show up, um, but here's what we do know. If they do, their lives will be changed forever. And that's ultimately what we're praying for as a family right now. And so just as a reminder, 
We are hosting three identical Christmas Eve services. The first is December 23rd at 5 p.m., and then we have two on December 24th at 4 and 6 p.m. And you can attend whatever service you want. But every single year, you'll hear me say this. I encourage you to invite the, or go to the service that the people you are inviting will go to. Right? Make it as easy as possible on the people that you are trying to bring. Now, if you have people coming to multiple services, you should come to multiple services. It's going to be the same message, OK? Uh, but you're going to be OK with that. Go to the services that they can go to. Sit with them. Invite them. You know, bring them. And then share this church with them. Uh, and it's totally OK if you go to more than one, because it's going to be great. Like I said last week, we have a hot chocolate bar that'll be set up. It's come a little bit early, so you can kind of create your own creation there. We're going to be doing Christmas songs. That'll be the only time we're doing Christmas songs. So for those of you who are waiting, it's not coming, OK? Christmas Eve is the only time. Collective Kids is going to be doing what they do best. They're creating an incredible environment over there so our birth through fifth graders um, can hear about the Christmas story and can celebrate uh, with, the, with their friends. Um, ultimately, uh, it's going to be great, and we hope you invite as many people as possible. Um, and so before we jump into today's teaching, while we do have the cards on the seat, I want to give you one more opportunity to invite. So here's what I want you to do. Some of you already have your phone out because you're about to take notes. You have your phone out because you're filling out your connection cards. Some of you are checking to see who's injured uh, in your fantasy football lineup. And so pretend you're not doing that for a second. Here's what I want you to do. We're going to put it on the screen. I want you to take a picture of this. I'm going to move out of the way because I don't want to be in the picture. Um, here, here's what we want you to do. Take a picture, post it on social media, and tag people right now. Right, or text it to them. But because here's the thing, this takes 10 seconds, and this can change somebody's life. Right? We believe that is true, we know that is, that is true. And, and the thing is, like, it takes a little bit of courage to do this. Some of you are afraid, and, and, I, and I get that, um, but you shouldn't be. Right? There's tons of people that are trying this right now. You're being vulnerable, you should do that. It is the right thing to do, because just sending this to someone and saying, come and see, can change somebody's world. It can change their life. And that's what this series is all about. We want to make a positive impact on the people around us. We want to make a difference. We want to change the world. And the easiest way to do that comes straight from the Christmas story. We read this a few weeks ago, but let's read it again. After Jesus is born in Bethlehem, an angel appears to a group of shepherds and says this in Luke 2. He says, don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. Right? This is the moment that changed everything, when the world would never be the same again. Jesus has been born. And we talked about this over the past few Sundays, that if we want to change the world, it starts with this good news. It starts with the truth that a Savior has come. The one who was sent to rescue us from our sin and lead us to a better life is here. And the way that we can change the world is to share this good news and great joy with everyone, with our friends and our family, with our coworkers and our neighbors. And so in week one of this series, we talked about how we can't change the world unless we've experienced change in our own lives first. And so the challenge that week was for those of you who haven't been baptized to check the baptism box, go public with your faith on Christmas. Because the thing is, you can't give people what you don't have can't lead people to something where you're not willing to go or you've never been there before. Last week, we talked about how we can change the world with three small words, come and see. And so the challenge was to invite. But today, we're going to take this a step further. We're going to read from the book of John in the Bible toward the end of his book. Uh, here's some context. Jesus is nearing the end of his life. 
And he's with his 12 closest followers, his 12 disciples. And these are guys that he's been leading and he's been encouraging. He's been caring for them over the past three years. Ultimately, what they don't know is that he's preparing them to lead this good news forward once he's gone. He's kind of been molding them and shaping them and getting them ready for the fact that he's going to die and resurrect and ascend into heaven. And they've got to carry this good news and great joy forward. And so we're going to pick this up in a spot where uh, Jesus is sitting down with them. He's about to be crucified. And he shares one more teaching with them. Think of these as his final remarks. Uh, and that's where we pick things up today. Jesus says this in John 13, starting in verse 34. He says, so now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. And so Jesus says, just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Right? Not in the way that you want to love people, not in the way you feel like loving people, not in the way that they deserve, but to love them in the same way that Jesus has loved us. And so here's the first thing to write down today. If we want to change the world, we pay it forward. Just a few months ago, I was in a drive-thru at Starbucks. Uh, and when I went to go pay for my PSL, because I'm in August to whenever they stop selling a PSL kind of guy, and I get up to the front, and the barista told me that the person in front of me had paid for my drink. And so I began to look to see, did I know the car? Did I know who the person was? Was it somebody you know, that goes to collective like who saw me and decided to do that? Um, but it wasn't anybody I recognized. And so I asked the barista, did they say why they did that? And she responded with the person in front of them had paid for them. And so they decided to pay for me. Right? What they did was they paid it forward. And this type of thing is pretty normal. Some of you have experienced this at Starbucks before. When Ray and I lived in Ohio and I was working at a church plant up there, she was working at Starbucks at the time. And one day she was on the drive-thru and they had over 30 cars pay it forward and pay for the person behind them. She said it was over an hour of them constantly paying for the next car in line. And I didn't realize this until digging into this for this sermon, um, but paying it forward apparently has become a pretty controversial thing. Uh, just a few weeks ago on social media, it exploded with discussions about scenarios like this um, when someone broke a chain of cars because the person behind them had ordered $45 worth of Starbucks. Now, the person didn't know there was a pay-it-forward scenario going on. It was just a car full of people, and they ordered a bunch of things. And so the person was told, hey, the person in front of you paid for your drink. And then the barista said, do you want to pay for the person behind you? And so the guy, he was on TikTok recording the entire thing. Uh, that's a bad idea, by the way. Um, but I've got an illustration for today. And so he asked, he's like, hey, what, is it, what does it cost behind me? And she goes, $45. And he goes, nope. <laughs> he threw a peace sign, and he drove out the drive-thru. Right now, some of you have done that before, haven't you? You're not judging him because you're like, oh, no, I'm not paying for their coffee. Uh, right? You, you go through that line. You're like, thanks for the free drink. I'm going to have a great day. The person behind me has no idea. Right? And we can argue all day long what's the right thing to do in that scenario. Should you pay for their coffee? Should you not pay for their coffee? Does it take away from the specialness of it? I don't know. Right? I'll tell you that every time uh, this has happened to me, I wrestle with the decision uh, to buy the next car's coffee. Um, I'm not going to tell you what I do. <laughs> so, uh, but, but here's the thing. This is Starbucks. Right? This is just a drink. This is just Starbucks. This doesn't change anybody's life. Right? Some of you think it changes your life. It doesn't change your life. Right? This barely changes your day. Maybe it changes your next 15 minutes when this happens. And so whether we pay it forward or not in the line when we're getting our coffee doesn't really matter. 
The problem, though, is when we choose not to pay it forward when it comes to Jesus. The problem is when we choose not to pay it forward when it comes to the new life that he offers, when it comes to the grace and endless second chances that he came to bring, when it comes to the forgiveness that we've experienced in our own lives. The problem is when we choose to keep the good news and great joy to ourselves and not pay it forward. Because Jesus says to his followers, just as I have loved you, you should love each other. He's telling them, go ahead and pay it forward. Now, let me make this a little bit more complicated, though, because Jesus doesn't just tell us to love each other. He tells us to love each other in the way that he loves us. And that is so much harder, because how does Jesus love us? He loves us unconditionally. He loves us based on who he is and not what we have done. He loves us patiently. He loves us relentlessly. He never stops loving us no matter how far we stray from him, no matter whether or not we love him in return. Jesus' love for us is an always present kind of love. He loves us sacrificially. He loves us in word and in action. He doesn't just say, I love you. He showed us when he put himself on the cross in our place, when he laid down his life for us. That is how Jesus loves us. And let me just say this to those of you who do not follow Jesus, or maybe you're on the fence about this whole faith thing. More than anything else, this is what we want you to know today. God loves you. He always has and always will. You don't have to do anything to earn it. You can't do anything to lose it. And this love is absolutely life-changing. It has changed my life. It has changed many people in this church's life. But the thing about Jesus, and this is one of the reasons why I think he is so good, is that while that love is always there and always available and always real, he gives us a choice, yes or no. And so as you sit here today, if you are not a follower of Jesus, here's what I want you to wrestle with. Am I ready to say yes to what Jesus has for me, to this good news that brings great joy, to love of a savior that changes everything? Or am I saying no? And the thing is, you can ignore everything else that I'm going to say today. If you don't follow Jesus, this is what I want you to focus on. This is what I want you to wrestle with today. You can just ignore me for the rest of the time. It's totally okay. But here's the thing, you have to make a choice. At some point in your life, it is yes or it is no. It can't be maybe forever. It can't be I'll make that decision later. There's two choices. And so while you are wrestling with that, if you are ready to say yes, if you are in that place, just like the last few weeks when we talked about it, we want you to check the baptism box in your connection card. We want to follow up with you this week. We want to give you a call. We want to talk. What does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it look like to get baptized? What does it mean to pour myself into that love and that grace? And the thing is, I I believe you're here for a reason today. And I believe it's because you actually want to change the world or you want to change something in your life. But before that can ever happen, you have to let Jesus change you. It has to start with your own soul. So that's where you start. Now, for those of us who have allowed the love of Christ to permeate our life, to change who we are, Jesus says we are called to love others in the same way. So do we do that? Do we live in a way in our words and our actions that show other people the love of Christ, that show people that our lives have been changed by this good news and we want their lives to be changed as well? Now, I feel like I need to do a quick aside here to clear some things up, though, when it comes to love. Because one of the issues that we struggle with is that we often confuse loving someone with agreeing with someone. We often confuse loving someone as accepting everything that they're doing. 
And like, I love my kids so much. I would do anything for them. I would give up my life for them. But that doesn't mean I let them do whatever they want, whenever they want. In fact, I would argue that if I did that, I didn't actually love them at all. But one of the things we have to wrestle with is in our culture right now, we have adopted this idea that if you disagree with someone, you are unloving. And that isn't true. Because loving someone doesn't mean loving everything they do or say or choose. Jesus loves every single one of us. There's no doubt in that. But he does not love everything that we're doing. He doesn't love every decision that we make. In fact, there are countless stories in the biographies of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And there's these countless stories of him choosing to go into the homes of people who are labeled as notorious sinners. Right? It's what the Bible calls them. There's these stories of him choosing to have meals with liars and cheaters, choosing to spend time with people who are far from God. And he does that because he loves them. He loves these people. In fact, he says he came for these people. But Jesus doesn't sit down with them at dinner and say, I love you. Therefore, I'm totally cool with you cheating people. He doesn't sit down with them and say, I love you. Therefore, I'm totally cool with you living however you want. Go ahead and sleep around. Do whatever, do whatever you want to do. You be you. Right? It's your life. He doesn't sit down with people and say, I love you. Therefore, I'm totally okay with the decisions that you're making. He says, I love you. But because I love you, I want you to know there is a better way to live. And that starts with following me. So please don't misunderstand what Jesus is saying when he says love each other. Because love often includes hard conversations. Love often includes correction. Love often includes choosing to walk away from toxic people or toxic scenarios. Love often includes boundaries. And so when we read this, the definition of love doesn't come from our culture, doesn't come from our feelings, doesn't come from our parents. It comes from Jesus. And we look to him to be the example of that. And what we do with that is we pay it forward. We love others the way that Jesus has loved us, not just through our feelings, but through our actions. And when we do that, this is what happens. Going back to verse 35, John says, or John wrote, and Jesus says, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. And Jesus could have said anything he wanted here. He could have said, your knowledge of me will prove to the world that you follow me. He could have said, how spiritual you act will prove to others that you follow me. He could have said, how much scripture you can quote. He could have even said, how much sin you avoid. But instead, he tells us that our love for one another is what proves to the world that we follow Christ. So let me ask this question. Do our actions lead people to Jesus? Because if we want to change the world, it's our words, come and see but it's also our actions. It's how we live our lives. It's how we treat other people. It's how we serve other people. Think about this. Imagine a world where people are skeptical of what we believe, but are envious of how we treat each other. And they're amazed at how well we treat them. Because when we get down to it, that is how the church started. You see, long before there was ever the Bible as we know it, there was a version of Christianity that captured the attention of the world because of how people who followed Jesus chose to treat other people. It wasn't just about what they believed because it was a version of faith that did things. It was actionable. It was a version of faith that spreads throughout the world because of how people who followed Jesus chose to serve their neighbors and their friends and their community. 
And we see this in Acts 2. It says the start of the church. Jesus has resurrected from the dead. Right? He was seen, so their hope was real. They knew what they believed. They saw it, and they wanted to live it out. Then Peter preaches to a crowd of thousands. Hey, the gospel, the good news is real. It's here. How do you respond? You repent, you get baptized. We talked about that week one. But this is what follows that moment. Acts 2, 44 through 47 says this. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in, the homes, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Don't miss this, because most Christians do. In fact, most pastors do. A few times a year, I have this unique opportunity to coach and to lead church planters, and I always have them read these verses. And I always ask them to describe the early church, and they will say they worshiped together. Right? They, they took care of each other. They were generous with their money. They took communion together. But the thing that they always miss is the end of verse 47. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. This tells us that it wasn't just followers of Jesus who were a part of this community. This tells us that the Christians served in such, the, uh, such a way that other people saw it and it changed their lives. This tells us that people who didn't have faith in Jesus saw how Christians were living and thought, I want some of that. I don't know what it is, but I want it. I want some good news and I want some grace and I want some hope. And daily, because of that, people put their faith in Jesus and got baptized. So what if we lived in such a way that people found Jesus irresistible? I think about it with me. What if the way we treated other people, the way we talked to our kids, the way we sacrificed for our spouse, the way we chose vulnerability in our friendships, the way we met the needs of people in our community, what if we lived in such a way that grace was tangible? It was felt. People could see it and taste it and experience it. Wouldn't that change the world? This is why we are constantly trying to serve our city as a church, right? We don't want to be a church that says we're for Frederick. We actually want to be a church that's for Frederick. This is why about a month ago, we collected food for Thanksgiving, and this Sunday, we're collecting toys for kids. This is why one Sunday every year, we go and we buy out a grocery store. This is why we push people to join the team and serve on Sundays. Yes, there are needs that need to be met in our city. Yes, there are people who are hungry. There are children who wouldn't otherwise have a Christmas, but it is so much bigger than that. This is about grace. This is about, we want people to know that there is a God who loves them and that God has changed our lives and we can't help but live that out in our community. And so while we'll celebrate pounds of food and total toys given or churches that we've helped planted, whatever it is, we are celebrating good news and great joy being brought into our city and into this world. And one of the things that we have to wrestle with is how we talk about why we do the things that we do. Because the thing is, anybody can buy food. Anybody in any organization can buy toys or donate clothes. They can give their time, right? Anybody can do that at any place. And when people ask why, we can respond by saying, because we just want to help. Or we can say, because there's a need or because it's the right thing to do. And, and those are all true. But the reason why we serve others is because Jesus served us. We serve others to pay it forward. We serve others because Jesus laid down his life for us and calls us to do the same 
for the people in our lives. We serve others so grace can be seen and felt. We serve others to change the world. Let me talk about invitation again for a second because these things are incredibly connected. If people see how Jesus has changed my life, if I share my story and how God's grace has impacted me and I live in a way that that is seen, when I invite people to come and see, they will not say no. They just won't. Because if they are seeing what God is doing in my life and in my marriage and in my friendships and how I treat other people and how I care for my neighbors, they will want some of that. They will want to see what I have in my life that is different. And we know this is true because the reason why this church exists today is because of a group of people, a group of Christians who lived that out and created this movement called the church so that we get to celebrate how great God is every single Sunday. But we don't exist without other people living in that way. And I'm just going to be real with you for a second. I think the main reason that people don't want to come to church and they shoot down our invitations is not because they hate God. I don't, I don't think that's what it is. I, and I don't think it's because they're unwilling to give church or God a chance. I think the reason why they say no is because of Christians. It's because of us. Because I think uh, people in their lives who would say they are marked by grace do not live in that way. I think it's because people look at our lives and they don't see the impact of good news. They don't see the impact of grace. And I'm just being honest. Because I can say that I'm impacted by good news and that gives me great joys, but am I living like that is true? Right? And going back to the early church, they lived in such a way that it was so irresistible that people couldn't help but want to know more. They couldn't help but want to come and see. They couldn't help but want to try to get a peek at what those Christians were doing. But that doesn't really happen anymore, does it? And that is not God's fault. God was good then, he is still good now. Grace was available then, it's still available now. The reason why that happens is because of us. This is our fault. This is my fault. St. Francis of Assisi was an Italian monk in the 13th century, and he's attributed to saying uh, this. He said, preach the gospel at all times, but when necessary, use words. If we want to change the world, our actions should reflect good news and great joy that the Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born. So if people are looking into our lives, is that what they see? Would people even know that our lives have been changed when they look at how we're living, how we're treating other people, what our marriages look like, what our families look like? Honestly, if they looked into this church from the outside, would they see Christ? Now, I want to finish with this. The same John who wrote what we read earlier would later go on to write letters to the churches that had been started. Um, And uh, this happened about 80 years after Jesus had resurrected from the dead. And so what this means is that when he wrote these letters, uh, the church was about 80 years old. And you can go and you can read them in the Bible. It's 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. But what's really important to know here is that the church isn't new anymore. It had been about 80 years since what we read in Acts 2. And here's what John writes to these churches. He says this in 1 John 3.11. He said, For this is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Right? This sounds familiar, doesn't it? He said this a few books ago. And what he's saying is, from the moment you began to entertain the fact that maybe Jesus was the Son of God, this is what you've been told. 
Right? You're supposed to love each other the way that he loves you. Like, this is following Jesus 101. But here's the thing. I think the reason why he writes this is because the church had already forgotten. I'm assuming 80 years later, they had already kind of moved away from this new commandment. They weren't living it out the way that they used to. So he has to tell them, hey, don't forget. Like, don't forget what you've been told. You've heard this from the beginning. Don't walk away from this. Skipping ahead a few verses, he continues, we know that we have passed from death to life because we loved each other. And so what is John talking about? He's talking about people who have put their faith in Jesus, people who were once dead to sin, but now have the grace and new life that Jesus offers. And he says, so we know that someone has passed from death to life. Why? Because the Bible tells us so. That's not it. Because we believe the correct things. Nope. Because we have all this knowledge. That's not it either. He says, we know that people have passed from death to life because they love one another. That is how you know. And then he finishes that part by saying, anyone who does not love remains in death. And this is heavy. This is something we need to wrestle with. What he is saying is that if we don't love others the way Christ has loved us, that we really haven't been forgiven, that we haven't actually experienced grace. What he's actually saying is that we really don't understand salvation and we haven't experienced that in our own lives. But if we do love others the way that Christ loved us, we move to life. But if we are not living that life out, we remain in death. Because if we've experienced those things before, we can't help but show them to other people. If we've experienced the good news and great joy of a savior, the natural response is to bring that to everyone, to love other people and to serve other people, to bring grace to other people. If your life has truly been changed by Jesus, then you live in that way and people can see it. And then John explains again what this love looks like in verse 16. He says, this is how we know what love is. This is the definition of love. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. We have to lay down our lives for our brothers and our sisters. Just as Christ has loved us, that is how we're supposed to love others. And in verse 18, he finishes with this. He says, dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Don't just sing about it. Don't just talk about it. Don't just sit and wait for someone else to do it. Take action. He's saying, do something. Because our actions show who we are. Our actions show what we believe. Our actions show who we're following. Our actions show that there is good news that brings great joy. Here's the beautiful thing about Jesus, though. He does all the work. We can't physically change people. Some of us try to do that. You just can't do that. We can't force people to be different versions of themselves. We can't heal other people's wounds for them because we are just people. But what we can do and what we're told to do is to bring them and introduce them to the one who can do those things. That is our responsibility as people who follow Christ. We can live in a way that shows other people that there is good news and that this good news brings great joy. So are we doing that? Are we living in a way that reflects this life-changing moment in history? Or are we living in a way where we just make it all about lights and gifts and presents and all those things? Are we living this out? Are we living in a way that shows people that Jesus is real, that he has changed my life, and he can change theirs as well? Let's pray. God, as we... As we read these verses, as we read the words that you have for us, 
God, so often we stop at the first part. Right? We love to stop at the grace for us and the love for us and the healing for us and the hope for us. But if we continue to read, what we see is grace for them and hope for them and love for them. And God, for whatever reason, you put the challenge on us, your followers, to bring this good news to the world. Um, and God, if we're being honest, we're not doing a great job with that. God, if we're, if we're being honest, the, the church has done a pretty poor job at that for a while now. Um, and so God, I, I pray as we read this and we wrestle with this, as we think about the people that we're trying to invite, as we think about the people in our life uh, who we want so desperately to know you and experience you and have their life changed by you, God, I pray that we recognize that before we ever get to say the words, come and see, people see how we live. People see how we love. People see how we treat others. And so God, I, I just pray that we wrestle with what this looks like in our own life. God, that we don't just serve for the sake of serving. We serve for the sake of people understanding that you are real and you are good and you can change everything. But God, I pray um, for us, I pray for this church, um, God, I pray that as people look on the outside in, what they see is you always. God, what they see is your goodness and your love and your grace through the actions that we bring. God, give us opportunities this week to serve others, to love others, um, ultimately to share the good news with our actions, not just our words. God, thank you for this challenge. We love you and pray these things in your name. Amen.